Before giving my life to Christ, I lived in anxiety. I had an overwhelming fear of the unknown and I felt really scared and alone. Before welcoming Jesus into my life, I was sad and lonely. I struggled with depression and trying to find my place in this world where I felt I truly belonged. Giving my life to Christ was the most important decision that I made. Actively seeking His will in my life was the hardest. Before giving my life to Christ, I struggled to find ways to fill a void I felt in my heart. I turned to drinking and putting my identity and purpose into my basketball performance, which in turn left me feeling empty every time. Before turning my life over to God, I, I just felt cold and confused and just didn't feel like I had a home or a purpose for what I was doing in life. I struggled with friends not being there for me, not trusting me, and they wanted me to change. Before I met Jesus, I was sad, depressed, empty. I was just walking through the motions of life. Before I really met God, I kind of had a little bit of anxiety and I would worry about things a lot more. I felt like there was this void that needed to be filled by something. My heart used to be full of uncertainty and self-doubt and I was constantly chasing the affirmation of others. I met Christ when I was 11, but before that my whole life was emphasized and focused on being abused as the eldest son. I became so consumed with the do's and don'ts of religion that I lost sight that God just wanted a relationship with me. Before I was following Jesus, I was very self-serving and I believed the lie that said my life was my own and that I was in control of it. Life before I really gave my life to Jesus was full of hurt and pain, anger, disillusionment, just feeling alone. Before I knew Christ personally, I felt my life was moving in the wrong direction. I felt that was, I wasn't certain of which way I was going. I felt that I had no why, I had no purpose. I always wanted to find all the answers myself what the exact right thing was to do that would make everything better, that would make life just a little bit more livable, but it never worked. It was right in the middle of Jesus' ministry that he heard the news, terribly sad news. And so he rushed to the home of Mary and Martha, his great friends. He'd been there many nights, shared many meals, laughter, fun, enjoying their company. And their brother, Lazarus, was an especially good friend of Jesus. As he looked Mary and Martha in the eyes, he knew that the news was true. His friend, Lazarus, was dead. He was dead and buried in a cave a tomb, wrapped in burial cloth, lifeless, without any hope. And in that moment, you would expect maybe Jesus to impart some wisdom, to share with them some words of encouragement, to say that something miraculous was about to happen. But instead, Jesus wept. Jesus was filled with grief and sorrow because of the death that he had encountered. The death of a beloved friend of his buried in 
a tomb. Not much longer after that, Jesus himself was raised up on a cross. Both his hands and his feet were nailed. Upon his head there was a crown of thorns. He was beaten, battered, and bloody. And in his final seconds, he breathed in and he shouted out loud, It is finished. And with that, he breathed his last. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus later came to take Jesus' battered and bruised body off of the cross. They noticed the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet and the holes in his side where the Roman soldier had pierced his side and pierced his heart. And as they held him, they knew that he was without life, that he was dead and there was no hope. They they took him off to a, a cave, a tomb, much like this one, and they wrapped his body just like Lazarus' body was wrapped in burial cloth, and they placed him in that tomb. Jesus' friends, his disciples, the ones that had followed him, they went and they hid in an upper room. An upper room where Jesus had shared a last meal with them, had given them a new command to love one another, and they were afraid, and they were sad. They remembered the times when he had done amazing things, when he had, when he had given sight to the blind, when, when he had healed the man who couldn't walk, when, when he fed 5,000 people, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they couldn't believe it. He was dead and buried in a tomb. No hope whatsoever. Men by the name of Paul said this about us. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Many times throughout the scriptures, it paints a picture of our sin, not just as something bad, not just as something that can harm us or harm others, but it paints the picture that sin leads to death. That the sin in our lives, the way that we live our lives without Christ, it leads us to the tomb. It leads us to death. And it's not something that can be simply fixed because we are dead in our sin. So what do we do with those three stories on Easter Sunday morning? What do we do with these three stories of death, of hopelessness, of loss?
But the story isn't over. You see, Jesus, in the midst of his sorrow and his grief, he paused and he looked at Mary and Martha and he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. They were puzzled about this statement. They wondered what it could possibly mean. And then Jesus said to them with tears still in his eyes, show me the place where they laid his body. And so Mary and Martha and Jesus walked to the tomb, to the place where Lazarus' dead body had been laid. In front of it, there was a large stone. And upon coming to the tomb, Jesus said, please roll the stone away. They said to him, Jesus, we don't want to do that. He has been in there for four days and the stench would be awful. But Jesus said, no, 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 roll the stone away. And so they did as Jesus asked. They rolled the stone away and Jesus walked to the entrance of the tomb. And in a loud voice, he called into the tomb, Lazarus, arise and come out of this cave. Mary and Martha and those standing there must have been in disbelief. Was he crazy? But then they heard it, some shuffling from the back of the tomb. Could it possibly be? They heard the shuffling turn into footsteps in the back of the cave and toward the front of the tomb. The footsteps came and out walked Lazarus. Burial clothes still on him. He was no longer dead. He was alive. Jesus had taken sorrow and grief and pain and death and turned it into life. But the story isn't over. Jesus had been buried in the tomb for three days. And Mary Magdalene and some others came to the tomb on the first day of the week as the sun rose in the sky. She had wondered how she would anoint his body how they would get to his body with the anointing oil and the spices, how they would roll the stone away. But upon coming to the place of the tomb, the stone was already rolled away. And the Roman patrol was no longer there. With trembling, Mary walked to the front of the tomb. She looked inside and saw nothing. There was no body. She turned and she saw a man who she thought must be the gardener and she said to the man, have you seen the place where they took my Lord's body? The man with great compassion in his eyes looked at her and said, Mary. Upon hearing her name, she knew the voice. It was the voice of her teacher, the voice of her savior, the voice of Jesus. And she ran to him and she clung to him. 
How could it be that he had come back from the dead? He was dead for three days, but now he was alive. He told Mary, go and tell my followers, my disciples, that I have risen just like I said I would. And so Mary ran to the disciples to tell them the good news that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he was alive. And upon hearing the news, the disciples doubted. They couldn't believe something like this had happened. They had no frame of reference for someone who could come back to life. Everyone that they knew that had ever died stayed dead. And so they wondered, could this possibly be true? Some of them thought, maybe, maybe there's some hope in this. But most of them thought, no, there's no hope in this. Our Savior and our Teacher and our Lord is dead and gone. And then it happened. Jesus somehow appeared in the locked room. He said to them, look at my nail-scarred hands. Look at my pierced side. I have risen. Stop doubting and believe. And so they did. And for the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to many people, groups of up to 500 people. And we have accounts from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We have an account from James, the brother of Jesus himself. We have the testimonies of saints from that day who said they saw the risen Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that they ate with him, that they laughed with him, that he restored them and that their hope soared because he had risen and he is risen. And so what does this mean for us? Well, it means the story isn't over. See, the story isn't over for you. This is your story as well. Paul goes on to talk to the Ephesians and says this to them, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, It is a gift of God. You see, while we were buried in our sins and transgressions, while we were buried like Lazarus, while we were buried like Jesus, God offers his hand to us and says, Arise. Like the sun rising in the east each morning, God offers us a new start, new life, a new time to arise. And that offer is there for you. Now is your time to arise, your time to arise in your family. 
to be the husband that God wants you to be, to be the wife that God wants you to be, to be the mother or father that God wants you to be. Now is your time to arise. Now is your time to arise in your community and in your neighborhood to be the best neighbor that your neighbor ever had. Now is your time to arise. Now is your time to arise in the midst of all this fear of this virus that is staring us in the face. Now is the time for you to arise and to bring hope and healing to those around you. Now is your time to arise, to arise above the sin in your life, to be washed clean by Jesus and to live the new life that he has for you. Now is your time to arise. And now is our time to arise as the church. Yes, this morning is filled with sorrow and mourning that we cannot be together, but there will be a day soon where we will arise as the church, where we will gather once more together to proclaim the name of Jesus. And so even though we are scattered all over right now, it is still our opportunity to arise. And that is the offer for you. Arise, for he has risen. After giving my life to Christ, I know that I can cast all my worries onto him and that I wasn't put on this earth to live in fear. After um, welcoming Jesus into my life, I have been met with so much grace and kindness, and I have been brought into a community full of people who are teaching me the way of Jesus, and I finally feel like I have found my place in this world that I belong. And now through it all, and especially in these uncertain times, the peace that transcends all understanding is real to me, and I know that no matter what, it's all going to be okay. After giving my life to Christ, I realized that God alone can fill that void I felt in my heart. I was soon to use basketball as a platform to share my faith with my teammates and fans rather than to put my purpose and identity in. After turning myself over to God, I just found a community. I found my home in you and in Journey. And God has just radically transformed my heart into someone loving and open and kind. And I I just couldn't be more grateful. God put me in that situation so then I would trust His grace and to just be patient with His works. After Jesus rescued me, I found a peace, a life that was more abundant than I could have imagined. And amazingly, God introduced me to Himself and also to me. I'm only 12 years old, but I have been transformed by God drastically. I don't worry as much because I know that the Lord is always with me and that He'll help me. Now I stand proud and firm in who God created me to be. I am made perfectly in His image. After Christ, I began to find a capacity to trust men again. God showed me that He loves me and that a relationship with Him is so much better than a religious checklist. After I fully surrendered my life to God, I was filled with the most untouchable hope and joy, and I fully believe that He can do far more with my life than anything I could ever ask or imagine. Life after, peace and joy and 
Love, God is good. I can say with certainty now that Christ has given me clarity, that he's revealed my purpose and he's given me a direction to follow. I don't need an alarm clock to get me up in the morning. My passion to do his work gets me up in the morning. And I walk with the confidence that he walks with me every single day. My heart is filled with peace, it's filled with love, it's filled with passion, and it's filled with purpose. When I finally genuinely let God into that space of my life, he brought hope with him. And that hope changed my life. 